This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that has turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. I'm Julia Badalese. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am one of two hosts here on the show, Gabe Peterson. I'm joined in studio with Julia Badalese, my other co-host. Hello. How's it going? We're joined (laughs) in studio with Seth Bodine, our field reporter. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. We're joined in studio with Katie Otter, one of another reporter that we have. And we're also joined in studio with Dr. Valerie Johnson, a veterinarian here at CSU, who will be the subject of our interview today. Uh, But before we go into that, we're just going to go... Give a quick rundown of the show. Today we have a story about Texas Most Wanted found in Colorado. We have a wonderful segment done by Raven Color on Mike Johnson, a potential governor uh, candidate for Colorado. Then we jump into national. We talk about uh, some U.S. juice and peanut butter might be facing some new taxes, so you might not have that. Uh, we talk about South Korea, North Korea. They become could become united. Then our final story, we talk about another nor'easter. And then we have our music segment done by Julia Badalese, another great That's segment. Me. <laughs> and we finish with weather. Yeah. And don't usual. forget, we also have sports and um, our science segment as well. I think this week the science segment's actually on um, bees. So. Bees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We'll stay tuned <laughs> for that. But we actually are going to jump into our interview here with Dr. Valerie Johnson, a veterinarian here. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So we're, we have you on the show today because we read a uh, recent article. Um, you flew out to Washington State to kind of meet Boris, a 32-year-old polar bear. Um, can you kind of explain why you ventured all the way out to Washington and why you were trying to help this bear? Sure. So uh, we at our lab at CSU have been studying um, stem cells and their effects on osteoarthritis as well as some other conditions. And I recently treated a couple of elephants with stem cells and uh, gave a talk on that at the zoo meeting. And so the people um, in Tacoma had a very old polar bear who was very arthritic. And so they contacted me and asked if I would be able to perform a treatment on Boris. So that's how I came to go there and meet the wonderful Boris. So are stem cells becoming more of a practice for veterinarians, for animals that have arthritis? I mean, is there other ailments that animals can have that you can treat with stem cells? There's many more ailments that we can treat. And in fact, I started out treating multi-drug resistant infections with stem cells um, and then kind of segued into arthritis, which has been done a lot in the human side already. Um, at the moment, the cells are only um, available for use in a research setting. So as part of a clinical trial, mm-hmm. there are other cells which are um, a different type of cell that you can buy commercially. Um, and so those are available to people and we use them for a multitude of different disorders, both um, inflammatory, arthritic, um, autoimmune. They work in a variety of different settings. Hmm. Um, Just really quick. I I know that I personally don't know a whole lot about stem cells at all. (laughs) Um, Do you mind just like explaining how that works exactly? Sure. So the cells we use are adult derived. So we get them from adult tissue, usually bone marrow or fat. Um, And we grow these cells up and they're not um, stem cells that are able to become anything like embryonic stem cells, but they can undergo a variety of of different lineages, uh, usually muscle and bone um, and fat tissue. Uh, But how they work in the body is 
little different. At first, people thought we would just put them in there and they would become new cartilage or new bone. Mm -hmm. And that is actually not what happens. But what does happen is that they stimulate resident stem cells to become activated and regenerate. And they also um, act on the immune system to decrease inflammation and to um, activate antimicrobial peptides and a variety of other things, which helps in a variety of different settings, as you can imagine, um, inflammation, infection, um, autoimmune diseases, they dampen down the immune response. So there's a multitude of uses for these cells and um, not at all what we initially thought they might do. Hmm. You started this whole kind of stem, were you, do you have a point? Yeah, um, and so the treatment with Boris, how, what were the results? So Boris has had two treatments now, um, and we have taken before and after videos because it can be a little bit hard to detect exactly how he's feeling. Um, the keepers at the zoo feel like he feels better. They think that he's more active and feeling better. But to really analyze it, we have to do gait analysis. So we've not um, done that yet. We have the videos, and we're going to send them out to be analyzed. So you kind of started this whole treatment with dogs, correct? Like that correct. Was, was that the first animal that you started using stem cells on? Right. Yep. Um, I first started in dogs with infections um, and then moved into dogs with osteoarthritis and mm. from there a variety of other species. I mean, is the data kind of going in the right direction of stem cells are helping a multitude of animals or is it still you're kind of in that research phase right now to see the effectiveness of the treatments you're doing? So the, our first thing that we want to know is, are these treatments safe? So um, giving them to a bunch of animals, we can for sure say that these cells are safe. We've not seen um, many adverse reactions, and the ones that we have have been very mild. Mm. Um, however, as far as efficacy, I do think that we need more data. Um, we have people who think that their dogs are like new dogs after and certainly they seem to be much more active um, they feel better and then there are some animals that don't seem to derive a huge amount of benefit from it and so right now we're trying to figure out what is the difference um, and so which subpopulation of animals are the ones that are going to most benefit from this treatment just kind of talking about animals, we'll pivot a little bit. I saw that you partnered with the Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus, the CSU Veterinary School. Correct. <clears throat> are you are you trying to expand this to human patients as well? Yes, and that is um, not so much the osteoarthritis research, but um, the research that I've done in animals who have multi-drug resistant infections. We currently don't have any very good options to treat people that have those infections. And so based on the work that I've done in dogs, um, we were approached by the MDs at Anschutz Medical Center, and we've met with them. We've done all of the preclinical trials on human cells to try and replicate what we saw in dogs, and we hope that sometime in the near future it's going to move forward to a human clinical trial. I mean, stem cell research isn't necessarily a new, I mean, it's it's kind of new, but how did you even become interested in stem cells and like working with these animals? So initially, I came to CSU to um, do a PhD in immunology, and I was mostly interested in sepsis and systemic inflammation, um, not necessarily stem cells. However, um, we had a part of our lab that was working with stem cells, and so just on a whim, I did a few experiments in um, using these cells just in the lab in a dish and found that that they actually worked on multi-drug resistant bacteria. And so that's what kind of stemmed my interest in, in these cells. And from there, um, I went on to see just kind of the multitude of possibilities that we could use them for. In addition, I work part-time at the Wild Animal Sanctuary, and we have so many old 
animals, exotic animals that you can't use any drugs on. Um, and so that's kind of how I got interested in the exotic animal field is we don't have great options for these animals. What can we do to help them feel better um, so that they can live out their natural lives? In your professional opinion, do you think that stem cells is going to be the future of like veterinary services or is that still kind of in like an infant kind of phase? I do think that there's a big place for it in veterinary medicine as well as in human medicine. Um, the issue right now, well, there's a few issues, but one of them is that they're very expensive to produce. So in order for them to be able to be widely used, we're going to have to find some way to make production a little cheaper. The average person can't afford a $2,000 stem cell treatment on their dog, um, especially if you don't know for sure that it's going to work. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a lot of hurdles to overcome before it becomes mainstream, but I do think that it it's could be a very important treatment. So just kind of talking about like finances, are you, does the veterinary school, when you do a treatment to Boris, are you guys funding yourselves? Is the university funding you or do you have like a private organization that helps fund you guys? Yes, we have outside grants. We are mostly funded through the Shipley Foundation, uh, which is a foundation out of Boston that funds a lot of research. And so they have funded all of the exotic stem cell research, a lot of the dog osteoarthritis research. Um, and we have grants from a couple other foundations that have founded some of the or funded some of the antimicrobial stem cell research. Um, I guess my final question to you would be, I mean, I've never been in the presence of a polar bear. What was that like? I mean, how, I mean, how crazy would that be? That was also going to be my like question. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, I work with a lot of bears at the sanctuary, mostly black bears and grizzlies, but I have never seen a polar bear up close, and he was amazing. He was enormous. Um, <laughs> his paws were about as big as a dinner plate, and um, <laughs> just such an impressive creature. Um, and then just walk, watching him walk around, and go underwater. I mean, they're just amazing, yeah. amazing Humbling animals. For sure. yeah, yeah, for sure. Is that the? That's definitely like the the coolest animal that you've worked with. I would say it's probably the coolest animal I've worked with so far. I Although like I don't know, elephants cool. are right yeah. up there. I love elephants. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Johnson. Um, that's going to wrap up our interview here on yeah. the Rocky Mountain Review. But thank you so much for stopping by. I really Great. appreciate thank it. Great, thank you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to jump into local and sports. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here on the show, which makes Julie Badalise. That's me. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> that probably was not the response you were hoping from me. Uh, we also have Katie Otter, uh, one of our reporters in here, which is funny because you're always the one that for some reason at the end of the show, I'm thinking of the reporters. I'm like, there's another one. Oh. There's another one. But now you're here, so now I have to look at your face. Here I am. Uh, <laughs> we also have Seth Bodine, one of our other reporters in the room. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. <laughs> You're so far away over at Mike uh, Four. Pretty far. <laughs> right. I can see him. I can see everybody. I love it. I can see one of his eyes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to go into local news. I'm going to actually throw it back over to Gabe. Uh, take it from here. This past Tuesday, the U.S. Marshals Violent Offender Force apprehended Texas's most wanted sex offender at a campsite in Florissant, Colorado, which is west of Colorado Springs. 
According to the Dallas News, Dakota Marcus Stewart was convicted in 2009 of aggravated sexual assault of a child and indecency with a child by exposure involving two young girls. Since August, he has been wanted by the state of Texas because of failure to comply with sex offender requirements like registering as a sex offender. After the U.S. Marshals arrested Stewart, they were unsure if it was him. Stewart insisted that he was actually a 56-year-old Russian man named Demetrius Rasputin. However, a fingerprint comparison confirmed Stewart's true identity. According to Elizabeth Hernandez of the Denver Post, the, quote, well-established appearance of Stewart's campsite, along with the text messages intercepted by the U.S. Marshals, indicate that Stewart was living in, a teller, in teller County for at least 11 months. Stewart is now being held without bond until a hearing in front of a judge and is also being charged with attempting to influence a public servant, criminal impersonation, and failure to register as a sex offender in Colorado. Wow, what a crazy story. And that story was written by uh, one of our reporters, Bjorn Larson. I 56-year-old man named Demetrius Rasputin. <laughs> that is I... the most <laughs> Russian name I've ever heard. Wow, that's just... pretty... It's it's just the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like it's what he did was horrible, but at the same oh, time, it's the fact horrible. that he was like, I can totally, I'm gonna get this U.S. marshal to think that I'm a 56 year old Russian man named Demetrius. I mean, Rasputin. I could only imagine him just like just switching on it, like on a dime, just like, oh yes, or just whatever the <laughs> Russian. God, that, <laughs> that was like was a that more vine. Swedish. Yeah, yeah. It's like that um, vine, just like, uh, anyways. No, it it cra- <laughs> When I was reading the story earlier today, I was cracking up just a little bit because i was like who yeah. who is who has the nerve to just be like yes i am a 56 year old russian man i guess a very wanted uh criminal sex offender and he i mean <laughs> That'll I'm, do it, I guess. I'm glad that he got um apprehended <laughs> and he is currently in jail but anyways yeah. we're gonna move on to our next segment uh segment done by raven color our local correspondent local and community correspondent she uh interviewed mike johnston um she, he's one of the candidates for governor uh, we actually might start a thing with this i was thinking about possibly um uh, making it like a thing where we have interviews with candidates just to like you know get a little a better understanding for the fort collins community who we're voting in the office um so yeah stay tuned we have um the interview with raven color she's going to talk to mark johnston about uh his candidacy so uh yeah you're listening to rocky mountain review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Even after county primaries on Tuesday, there are 31 candidates for the Goober National Race here in Colorado. Before the gubernatorial forum on Saturday, I spoke with Democrat Mike Johnston. Mike Johnston, it's Mike, M-I-K-E, Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. What issues would you focus on if you were elected governor? I think the most important issues facing the state are One, how do we make sure we can actually support a world-class education system in Colorado? Which means we have to get funding both for our K-12 schools and for higher education. Right now what we've seen is more and more cuts to our K-12 system and more and more cuts to higher ed, which means tuition's going up over mm-hmm. and over. So I think I've, I've, I've supported you got to make education our top priority and go to the uh, ballot to make changes so we can fund higher ed and K-12. I think the other really critical ones are, obviously, how do we make sure we keep health care affordable for everybody statewide? How do we really focus on getting people the job training they need for the skills for the jobs that are coming? So whether you're 58 years old looking for a new job or 28, how can you get access to up to two years of community college or skills training? It would be debt-free. 
in exchange for you providing service to the state. So nothing's free in Colorado, you gotta work for it, but if you work hard and do service, you could earn back that training. We're focusing on pushing the state towards 100% renewable energy, so you can move, power all these lights and the electric grid off of wind and solar, create 70,000 jobs, and also cuts utility bills and cuts our healthcare costs. And then we've also come out to say, you gotta take common sense stand on gun safety. Mm -hmm. uh, we came out with a plan called For No More, which lays out the four things we think the state has to do to be able to protect people from both mass shootings and just uh, way too much gun violence. Your campaign site highlights your work with bipartisanship yeah. in the state Senate. As governor, how would you pr promote bipartisanship? I mean, this is one of the things I'm most proud of. I think one of the things people are looking for the most in the next governor is who is going to be able to take on the biggest problems the state has, but who can do it in a way that you can bring people together enough to actually get them done. Because if you are just a bomb thrower and not a bridge builder, you're not going to be able to actually get anything done. And so I'm very proud of the fact that that's the way I led in the Senate. When I was in the Senate for seven years, passed more than 120 bills that got signed by the governor. And of those bills, more than 100 of them all have Republican co-sponsors, which means I found a Republican who said, yeah, this is a good idea and I'll do it. I think that's unusual in this day and age, but to me shows how these things can work if you really say, uh, I think if I have a big idea, it ought to be big enough to include people from both parties in it. How have you developed as a politician since you were featured in the 2010 Times 40 Under 40? I've gotten older now, so yeah. I think I don't fit in the 40 Under 40 category. I probably have to give my award back now. I think I've, I've learned a lot from, obviously, mistakes I've made along the way, and I think I've gotten better. I think most of what I've learned is that in order to get big things done, you have to be able to get people to work together and share a sense of ownership. If it's just my idea and no one else's, then you're fighting uphill all the whole time. If you're listening to people, talking to them, getting their feedback, more people you talk to, the better the idea get. So I think I really learned that the best ideas are the ones with the broadest base of support. And that means working hard on the front end to get people engaged instead of waiting until you're halfway down the road to stop and talk to them. In the first quarter of your campaign, 70% of your donations were from out-of-state donors. Why is it that out-of-state donors really want you to, to win? Since then, obviously, we've been at this race for a year. Now the majority of our donors are in-state. The majority of our contributions are in-state. Uh, what we found is we were in the race first. And when we got in the race first, there were a lot of people that people were waiting to see if they were going to enter and so they thought Ken Salazar might get in the race they thought Ed Perlmutter might get in the race so a lot of the Colorado donors said you know what we're going to wait until we see what happens whereas you know my college roommates and my friends from law school and my aunts and uncles in Oklahoma didn't care who else got in the race and so a lot of the time when you raise money early the first people that come in are friends and family and so a lot of my friends and family from around the country didn't care once the race sorted out and people saw we really had a, had the, a leading chance to win now we've had dramatic uh, influx of Colorado donors we're very proud of the fact we have have more Colorado donors than any other candidate in the race, more money raised than any candidate in the race. And we're the only candidate to do it without taking a single PAC dollar, without taking a single dollar of special interest money, or without self-financing. So we both have the most grassroots campaign and we've raised the most money. Why is it important that you have a grassroots campaign? It's just more and more important that people feel like there is a human connection on the issues that they care about. I think we trust mainstream media less and less. We trust social media less and less. What people trust still are their neighbors and their friends and people that they talk to every day. And so we found the most effective way to listen to people and to talk to them is to do it eye to eye, face to face. You know, we're organizing community leaders in all 64 counties. We'll have those people all out caucus on Tuesday night, out knocking doors for the months to come. I think it's the most important way to do it because it's the most effective way to actually get things done. We're thinking less about how do you organize people for a campaign for one day and more about how do you organize people to govern.
burn for the long term. So I'll go to Republican counties where I'm not going to win. I'm not worried about winning. I'm worried about listening to those people and finding out the things that we do agree on. So for the next 10 years, we can help solve those problems together. I was at that walkout on Tuesday. Something that a lot of the kids said to me was that they kind of felt disenchanted with the fact that a lot of the political leaders weren't willing to take steps to kind of protect them in school. How would you, as a governor, kind of combat that, especially since it's something that you know young people and soon-to-be voters are concerned about? Yeah. I think I've very clearly been the most courageous one on this issue in the race. We came out with our first TV ad this week, which is about guns, mm-hmm. which is an ad that we cut before the Parkland shooting even happened, because I feel so strong this is something we have to take a stand on. As a former teacher, as a former school principal, we have to keep kids safe. And so I've come out and said, yes, we need to ban military-style weapons from the streets of Colorado. Yes, we need to make sure that you get a background check anytime you buy a gun anywhere, anyplace. And yes, we have to make sure you keep guns out of the hands of those that are a danger to themselves or others. And, and yes, we ought to ban bump stocks, which should be obvious. Those four things are part of the agenda we call for no more, you know, hashtag, what do you do for no more school shootings? And our for no more plan is about uh, the four things we can do to stop it. I've had the courage to do this when I was in the state Senate. I fought the NRA twice on this, and I won twice. And I wasn't afraid of them then. I'm not afraid of them now. What I am afraid of is having to go to more funerals for 14-year-olds. So the big issue has been trying to get legislatures who have been backed by the NRA to get on board. Do you have any ideas on how you combat people who are so tied to their donors? Yeah, I think one of the most powerful forces for change in the world which is obvious now and has always been true, is young people. Mm -hmm. Like the reason why this moment is so different is tragically the students who were killed at Sandy Hook were six and seven. So they couldn't stand up and host a press conference and host a march out and say, this is what we're gonna demand. They Mm -hmm. couldn't go to Delta Airlines, United Airlines, say, are you gonna stand with us? Are you gonna stand with the NRA? Now that young people are doing that, I think it's totally changing the country. And because I think they call out, if you are taking money from the NRA, then then you are bought and sold. And so what I've said is, this is why, you know, I think people shouldn't take PAC money and I don't, but this is also why the power of the voice of students, right? now is overwhelming. And so I'd say to those young people, uh, they should join our movement because we want to be a part of supporting their work. And we specifically are the first campaign where we're organizing on every college campus in the state, working on organizing high school campuses all across the state. People say, oh, well, those kids can't vote. I don't care if they can't vote. What I do care is that they can lead the state over the next 50 years and they realize that their voice matters. So those you'll see those young people as our surrogate speakers and leaders all across the state because we think this moment is about them. One of the issues with education in Colorado is uh, there's a lot of school districts who are actively shutting down schools because the state owes millions of dollars in education funding. Yes. Um, If you were elected, how would you handle that issue? Yes, so that's right. There are about, there's about a billion dollars a year of funding the state should be spending on education that we're not. And uh, I think we've kicked that can down the road for far too long. And so my commitment is I would go to the ballot and fix that problem in our first term to be able to actually restore funding to schools both K-12 schools and higher ed, and to do it in a way that's fair. Because right now what happens is the state cuts funds dramatically all around the state. Then if you live in a district like Poudre or like Denver where taxpayers will vote for a local tax increase, you can backfill those cuts. If you live in Greeley or Colorado Springs or Pueblo, your county's not going to vote or your district's not going to vote to back to backfill those cuts. And then your education just gets less and less and less funded. And what you're doing is creating this massive divide between the haves and the haves-nots across mm-hmm. the, the state. I think that's deeply unfair. I think that's actually unconstitutional. And so that's why the state has an obligation to fix it and the state should step in and I would lead to do that. Something that is part of your campaign was part of your senatorial term was higher education for working class people. So yes. as governor, what steps would you take to promote higher education for working 
working class families. You bet. This is one of the most important challenges. So we have an idea called the Colorado Promise, which allows people at any stage of their career to be able to get the training they need for the jobs that they want without going broke doing it. Mm -hmm. And so what it would allow is people could get up to two years of community college skills training, apprenticeship training, where they would walk out with debt free with a job in exchange for them providing service to the state. So our idea is like the national service idea, but at the state level. If you keep your day job five days a week, 10 or 12 weekends a year, you come out and provide service to the state like a civilian version of the National Guard. And that service earns you the investment in your training so you can get the skills you need. So now if you're 45 and you worked at Tower Records and it goes out of business or you're a truck driver and there's self-driving vehicles now, you can look at, all right, what are the skills I have? What are the jobs out there that I want? And what are the skills I need to get there? And we could help support the training you need to get there. How would you respond to a federal administration who's frequently challenging states' rights and kind of the state's jurisdiction to govern itself? Yeah, this is an unprecedented moment in American history because you're going to have to have a governor who for the first time is prepared to fight his or her own president on things that either are obligations the federal government has that they're not meeting or are ways that the federal government is actively fighting you on state-level policies, whether that's immigration or marijuana or protection of women's health. So my belief is that our values are not up for compromise, and we are going to fight to protect our public lands and protect women's access to health care and protect people's right to not be profiled on the streets when they're driving to and from work. I'll fight for that. I'll take on President Trump on those things that he wants to pick a fight with. And I think that ultimately the power of the states is going to be stronger than he is. And he wants us to be the hands to implement the wishes of his cold heart. And that is not something I'm willing to go along with. Is there anything else you want to comment on? I think just one or two other things. I mean, obviously our Colorado Promise would help make college dramatically more affordable for kids that are struggling to pay their way through. It'll essentially get two years done for free before you got to a four-year degree. And I think it changes the focus. What we know for young people like you is that that you may have eight to 10 different careers over the course of your lifetime with the projections. You might be a journalist for 10 years, then you might decide to go be a doctor or a teacher or a coder or a welder. And we got to build a new system that's going to be able to allow you to make those changes throughout the course of your life, not take one job at 22 and retire from that job at 65. So I think this is a big way to get ahead of that. And we've had national leaders from the you know General Stanley McChrystal to General George Casey to Meg Whitman, the CEO of Hewlett Packard, have all said, this is the best big idea for how you can move the country forward. The only other ones we didn't mention are, I think this is a moment where the state feels more divided than ever before. I think the next governor is going to have to be not just a policymaker, but a community builder. Right? What are the ways in which you bring people back together who've been divided? Grew up on the Western Slope, have a lot of Republicans in my family. I feel like I've grown up in the Colorado spirit where that is about you care less what party you're from and more about that you want to make a difference, not just make a point. And so I think this really ought to be an election where we're looking for someone who can build community. I think that's what I did as a school principal. It's what I've done as a state senator. It's what I've done in the community office I opened in North Park Hill. I think that's part of what this moment calls for and part of what we hope to build. For the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Raven Culler. And welcome back. Thank you so much for listening to that interview by Raven Color, our local and community correspondent. That interview was done with um, one of the Democratic candidates for governor, uh, Mike Johnston. Um, Actually, if you want to hear anything more like that, I know that something I feel like a lot of people don't do is keep up with local, local, like local politics. Um, If you want to hear any more about local governor candidates, stuff like that, um, please let us know. That number is 970-491-5278. Um, we would love to hear more about that because I think it was a really cool interview. Um, you know, oh, absolutely. Raven, really, yeah, Raven does a great job. Great interview. Um, 
Yeah. She's kind of in a public place, so to be able to get that audio and the quality <laughs> content that she did, that is very uh, plausible. So yeah, no, and it's I think it's I think it is really important just to like really know what your local politics are supposed to look like um well, especially is, for voter turnout you know exactly and i think that is i think that would help a lot too so um yeah please let us know if you're interested in seeing some more interviews with candidates once again that number is 970-491-KCSU um i thought it was really interesting some of the stuff he was saying especially with like he's like yeah gotta get ready to fight trump like yeah, <laughs> yeah he was very he was very well spoken he sounds very intelligent um so yeah we'll, we'll try and get as many more candidates as possible because i think yeah. that would be a great idea especially you know these these midterm elections are going to be pretty critical for mm -hmm. presidential elections coming up so something that he just mentioned kind of nonchalantly was that most of his most of the funding first comes from uh, friends family and, and friends mm -hmm. and he said he didn't really have much of that support which i thought was interesting which goes to show you know if you have your mindset if you have a goal go for it and maybe you can be the governor of whatever state you would like so <laughs> reach for the stars out there kids <laughs> anyways i think uh <laughs> reach for the stars oh that was so thank you so much raven thank you uh, mike johnson we're gonna jump into our sports segment here we're gonna start it off with csu's women's basketball the csu women's basketball team was knocked out of the mountain west tournament earlier than they had hoped by the boise state broncos the Broncos Lame. eliminated the Rams by a score of 76 <laughs> to 51. Hannah Tverdi was the star of the Rams scoring 14 points, and this was Tverdi's last game for the Rams as she is a senior. They will also lose seniors Ost Golin and Veronica Merkovich. All right. You're killing it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to CSU football. The Colorado State University football team held their pro day yesterday. 15 draft-eligible students participated in front of 40 professional scouts from 31 different NFL teams. Star wide receiver Michael Gallup had the best 40 time of the day as he ran a 4-4-5. Wow. He had this to say about the whole draft process, quote, You've just got to stay humble, stay grounded. You come here and have two pretty good seasons. Now they're talking about you going in the top rounds. I just need to stay grounded and know where I came from, and that's all I'm trying to do. Gallup is hoping to hear his name called come the end of April, as well as two other draft potentials for CSU. That is quarterback Nick Stevens and Zach Goldich. And that will conclude sports. Yeah. Um, anyway, we will be uh, going on a really quick break here. We'll be coming back with national and global news, as well as our science segment done by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. We'll, they'll be talking about some bees today and, uh, you know, general problems with bees and the, their decline. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Yo, I'm Butch Vig from the band Garbage, and you are listening to 90.5 KCSU. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Gabe Peterson. I'm one of two hosts here on the show. I'm joined with my co-host, Julia Badalese. Uh, yep. I'm a little, I'm a little bit Doing dancing. Doing a little air pumping. I think I'm <laughs> dancing. I think it also might be because I had coffee today. So I'm a little bit like, which is weird because that was a long time ago and normally it doesn't affect me. I'm in a really good mood right now, though. Okay. So. All right. Well, the coffee <laughs> is definitely kicking in. We are joined with Katie Otter, one of our reporters. How are you doing, Katie? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. As well as Seth Bodine, our field reporter. 
The fields are the so fields. great. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, Good. the fields are alive. So we're going to jump into our <laughs> national and global segment. And to kick that off, I'm going to send it over to you, Julia. Yep. Um, after many have condemned President Trump for his America First tactic of increasing taxes on imports for steel and aluminum, still be- being still being risen to a 25% tariff and an increase to 10% for aluminum, the EU appears to have their own response. European Commissioner for Trade and Swedish politician Cecilia Malmström um, has set out a retaliation effort against Trump's proposal on items such as bourbon, peanut butter, and orange juice, reports the BBC. The Trump administration claims the tariff is to secure the U.S.'s national security. In response, Malmstrom said, quote, we cannot see how the European Union, friends, and allies in, in NATO can be a threat to national security in the U.S. We find that assumption deeply unjust. Malmstrom's biggest concern is the loss of thousands of European jobs that this tariff could spark. According to USA Today, Malmstrom uh, was surprised at the idea that Trump would make a decision like this that would impact ally countries. Um, EU officials have been said to have doubts on if this proposal from Trump is even compatible with the World Trade Organization's rules. From ABC News, a senior uh, fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, Edward Alden, said that a lot of these imports may appear to be random, but the target is, quote, aimed at politically sensitive products, so in states with political clout, or at iconic American uh, brands. Alden also said that American-known products like Levi's jeans, bourbon, Peanut butter and Harley Davidson's motorcycles may take a hit because of this response from the EU. They're taking away the bourbon? The EU. <laughs> That's all I caught from that. The bourbon, the Levi's, the Harley Davidson's. Oh, God, what is Levi going to do? They can't just have those butt commercials anymore. I mean, every time I see it, it's just butts everywhere. It's so weird. Anyways, where will they that, go? That, I don't know. Where will they go? Where Not they overseas. Go? Not overseas. <laughs> Not overseas. Well, everybody buy their crunchy peanut butter now. I just say crunchy because I'm a crunchy guy. Mm, that's gross. Well, if you're going to have peanut butter, might as well have peanuts in it. Yeah. This is, it's like If you're allergic to peanuts, like, you can't have either. So. Yeah. No, but uh, it is interesting that the, the EU responded in this way, or at least like um, Cecilia, the Swedish politician. It's interesting that that was like the response. I feel like that's also been like a lot of the responses from other countries i feel like they're just kind of like fed up a little bit like well i mean a lot of their own countries are fed up with their own government so yeah they kind of have their own problems over there (laughs) yeah i guess so um anyway i'm gonna send it over (laughs) i'm gonna send it over to seth (laughs) so north korea is doing some shocking things uh they um, shocked the world this week when they offered to sit down and discuss denuclearization with South Korean diplomats, reports Choi Sang-hun and Mark Landler of the New York Times. According to a statement released by the South Korean envoy, North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un is interested in talks with the South and the United States and would suspend nuclear and missile testing if such a talk were to happen. The statement said that North Korea wanted heart wanted, quote, a heartfelt dialogue with the United States on the issues of denuclearization and normalizing relations with the United States. This sentiment is a contradiction to the tone going into previous discussions of denuclearization with North Korea earlier, stating that its nuclear weapons were non-negotiable. The North Korean government has not issued a statement with its own version of what Kim offered in this meeting. Choi and Landler said that it is unlikely that the South Koreans would publicize an offer 
which was not on the table and noted that all accounts describe the meeting as a, quote, extremely cordial visit. The White House and President Donald Trump responded positively, but not without the knowledge that North Korea has broken every agreement with the U.S. in the last 27 years. South Korean National Security Advisor Chung Woo-yong and delegate and delegates were concerned that North Korea would demand that joint U.S. and South Korean military exercises not resume after the Paralympic Games in Pyeongchang. But according to a statement by Chung, Kim understood why the joint exercises must resume in April, but expects they would be adjusted when Korean Peninsula stabilizes. Countries like the U.S. and China are being cautious, but are reportedly hopeful that talks will result in a diplomatic solution as the State Department's veteran North Korean negotiator Joseph Yun has announced his resignation. If talks were successful, it would mean the end to a state of war between North Korea and U.S., which has stretched over the last 70 years. Thank you, Seth. It was super interesting in hearing that, that they were like, oh, yeah, like, we're cool with, like, denuclearizing. I've, <laughs> which is good. Oh, yeah, for sure it's good. It's just a little surprising having it just be like, you know, I, I don't was know. listening to something, a reporter analyzing the situation, and they said one of the reasons why they might be interested is because they're so close to actually finishing their nuclear program that they're like, well, what's a, one or two years going to do to it? So, hmm. um, And also the fact that they have broken every agreement in the past 27 years <laughs> yeah. isn't completely hopeful. <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, it was hopeful, like, during the Olympics, you know, for South Korea and North Korea to come out. So, yeah. I mean, you know, whenever you have a huge international event like that, you're always kind of worrisome of what could happen. And just being mm-hmm. that close to such an enemy of the United States and nothing happening is, for me, a great sign. And especially if they're going <laughs> to meet with, you know, South Korea, North Korea, I think that's a great thing. So it is. It, it's yeah. I'm hopeful that it'll be fine. It's just it's I always mean, it like. Will. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird, you know. I think North Korea, I think Kim Jong-un understands that if he cuts the rest of the world off, then there's no really survival for him and his country. So I think he I think he kind of understands that. Mm. But I can't, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. We'll see. So we're just going <laughs> to. What he says. We're just going to move on to the next national story. I'm going to send that over to Katie Otter. So the Northeast is getting hit hard with the second Nor'easter within a week. Snow and rain are expected to fall throughout the Northeast into tonight. Over 50 million people on the East Coast remain on winter storm watch. The storm is not expected to be as bad as the last one, but still has been making an impact when it comes to power outages and public transportation, such as trains and buses, according to NPR. Fallen trees and power lines are also a large concern in addition to hazardous roads, as many state officials are urging people to just stay home. Many Boston area schools are closed today as they received up to eight inches of snow and many communities placed under snow emergency. Boston faces the risk of a lot of snow up in the hills and on the coast, flooding and power outages, reports the Boston Globe. Many homes throughout the Boston area are still recovering from last week's nor'easter. In New York City, many are trying to get home to New Jersey at the end of the workday were stranded at Penn Station with Amtrak delays all throughout the region. Between 7 and 11 inches of snow were expected throughout New York City, reports the New York Times. While above-ground transit, such as Amtrak, Amtrak and buses were delayed throughout the city, transit officials report 
that the storm should have little impact on the subway system. New Jersey has received the worst of the storm, where up to 12 inches have been expected in the northern part of the state. Schools in South Jersey had delayed openings today after thunder snow swept through the South Shore yesterday, according to the press of Atlantic City. Temperatures have been expected to rise into the 40s by this afternoon, causing some of the snow that fell yesterday to melt. Cool. Thank you so much, Katie. Yeah, yeah my, the Northeast is just getting just absolutely annihilated. Yeah, my my dad lives in Jersey, and he just kept being like, yeah, it's crazy here. And I was like, yeah, no, I bet. And then, like, he would send me a picture, and I'd be like, oh, you oh, mean for oh, real. it's actually bad. <laughs> oh, you mean your car is flooded and it's frozen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, no, my, my dad drives a Jeep, and so he's always like, I'm so cool. I don't need to pave my driveway, and just kind of, like, drives <laughs> over it. And so, like, he sent me a picture, I think, yesterday of his driveway, and it was just like... Like, you can see the track marks of, like, his Jeep <laughs> and then, like, all of the snow. And he's like, yeah, it's been snowing a lot. And he, he works as, like, he loves his weather. So he'll, like, keep up keep up to date on, like, oh, there's a pressure system coming in. Or, like, I don't know yeah. anything about weather. I guess, but- <laughs> I guess the real question is, is, does your dad have doors on his Jeep? Uh, yes, he does have doors <laughs> on his Jeep. He okay. has, like, a 2015 Jeep, so it's actually a nice one. But <laughs> I have a lot of family in Jersey as well. Yeah. And I feel like they're so desensitized to the extreme <laughs> weather that they get like during hurricane mm. whatever and like they're getting urged to evacuate yeah my family's like oh no we'll be fine no yeah the, the dish i remember will be fine. that yeah <laughs> and they just stay cable. in their house we also they live on the that. shore like when <laughs> i used to live in jersey i remember that was kind of how it was like like i think one time my basement flooded and we're like this is fine Everything's just ruined, part of it. but it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Call home vac or whatever that company is. All not right. again. Not <laughs> Third again. time this week. Well, that is going to bring an end to national and global news. We're going to head into our science segment done by uh, the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. We're going to hear about some bees. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Sustainable Digest, brought to you by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. This week, can we look beyond the honeybee? And where has the West snow gone? The bees are dying. That's been a pretty common news story over the last several years. Colony collapse disorder has even become a household term. But while the threat is real, most of the coverage has focused on just one species, the honeybee. Honeybees are an important agricultural species, but protecting them may not be the environmental victory it's made out to be. Honeybees are one of some 20,000 species of bees found around the world. And, outside of their native habitat in Western Europe, honeybees are considered an invasive species. This means that they compete with local bees, so what is good for honeybees might not be good for these other critical pollinators. And without a diversity of pollinators, plants simply can't reproduce. Scientists are happy that more people are interested in bees, but they are also worried that this intense focus on just honeybees might do more harm than good. Honeybees are vitally important for crop production. They are even moved from farm to farm to pollinate almonds, apples, and avocados, among other common foods. But equating saving these farm animals to saving native bees is kind of like protecting farm sheep to help save endangered bighorns. So what can be done? Well, not using certain pesticides and planting more wildflowers can certainly help both honeybees and their native brethren. 
But we also need to know more about these native bees and the threats they face. Recently, there's been an explosion of research to study honeybee decline, but more work is needed to understand how other bee species are being affected. And getting the public on board with native bee conservation could be a huge step in the right direction. Megan Barrett, a biology PhD student at Drexel University, has laid out a series of steps to excite the public about the diversity of native bees and their importance. She notes it's important not to be anti-honeybee, but pro-wild bee. These are unique species that are hugely important to our ecosystems, and, like honeybees, they help pollinate the crops we eat. As springtime approaches, keep an eye out for the local bees buzzing around your neighborhood. Our next story takes us to the Mountain West. A new study published in the journal Nature has found that mountain snowpack has declined significantly at about a third of the monitoring sites. This is critical because this snowpack is the primary water source for many western cities and irrigates most of the crops grown in the region. The authors of this study show that much of the snowpack decline can be linked to increasing temperatures, although decreasing precipitation might play a role. The largest declines were observed in the Pacific states, especially during the spring. Given the large area they looked at, the total volume of missing water is huge. Compared to just 100 years ago, there are about 9.5 trillion gallons less water in the mountain snowpack. That's about enough water to fill Lake Mead, the U.S.'s largest reservoir. Next week is spring break for Colorado State University. The following week, SOGIS is hosting a lecture by Jonathan B. Jarvis, former director of the National Park Service and current executive director of the University of California, Berkeley Institute for Parks, People, and Biodiversity. His talk is based on his recent book, The Future of Conservation in America, A Guide for Rough Water. The lecture will be held Thursday, March 22nd at 4 p.m. in the Lori Student Center North Ballroom followed immediately by a reception where copies of his book will be available for purchase. Visit sustainability.colostate.edu for more information. Thanks for joining me, Rob Lammers, for the weekly Sustainable Digest from Colorado State University. Thank you to Freesound users Jay Zazverik and Ben Botkan for their B recordings. For more information, you can find us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, or kcsufm.com. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Uh, wonderful, wonderful segment done by Rod Lammers of the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. They really like their bird sounds there. Yeah, it's, I, I like it, though. <laughs> if you're going to have an environmental podcast, might as well yeah, let's get, get as much nature in it as possible. Yeah, let's get those bird sounds. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review. Uh, when we come back, we're going to finish our show with Julia's wonderful music segment as yep. well as weather. We're doing our throwback Thursday throwback. segment. Throwback. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, stay tuned here on the Rocky Mountain Review. Only here on 90.5 KCSU <laughs> Fort Collins. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm one of two hosts, Gabe Peterson, joined in the studio with Julie Badalise. Go, oh, it's me. Co-host, 
Julia Battleist. What did you say before? I didn't introduce you. I'm sorry. That's oh, you my just, fault. you're like, I'm in here with another person. <laughs> I'm just in here with Julia. <laughs> Anyways, we're joined with Katie Otter, one of our reporters. Hey, hey. And <laughs> Seth Bodine, our field reporter. I haven't seen a field in 30 years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you and your jokes over there. Keep them coming, please. Yeah. Anyways, um, we, uh, we're we going to jump into Julia's wonderful music segment, yeah. if you just want to introduce that real quick. Yeah, we have the Rocky Mountain music segment today. We're doing, uh, we're trying out this throwback Thursday kind of music segments. Um, so yeah, we have it on brick and mortar today. So yeah, stay tuned. I put effort into this. <laughs> You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And we're back here at the Rocky Mountain Review. Uh, first of all, Julia, great job. Thanks. I like doing music segments. <laughs> I know. I can tell. It was very well done. Uh, what was the name of that band again? Uh, Brick and Mortar. Brick and Mortar. Uh, they, ha- they also, the and is like a plus sign. Don't tell me why. Um, but they're oh. also, they're a New Jersey band. They've done some really cool stuff. Actually, when we were talking about New Jersey earlier, they did a, uh, one of their music videos, I think it's Dark Skies. Um, it features like, because I, I don't know if you remember, but I think it was her, I want to say Hurricane Sandy. I forget. Yes. Yeah. Hurricane Sandy. They had um the there was like that crazy shot if you saw it on the news of like that roller coaster in the water like, oh yeah um and so at the very end of the music video they have like a shot of that hmm. and then hmm. then being like we gotta go man and they like, <laughs> oh, gotta go man <laughs> so yeah no they're they're super cool and that was like their eighth anniversary of that album today um and i just thought it'd be cool to talk about it because yeah they, absolutely they're they're super cool they have a very like ele- very i said this a lot but very like electronic based but they're it's only two of them and it's oh wow it's really cool so yeah cool. check them out um anyway we're gonna go into everyone's favorite segment weather Ooh. well my voice <laughs> almost cracked there that was bad it's exciting <laughs> anyways today is a, a beautiful day it is 61 degrees outside uh no wind whatsoever it's saying four miles an hour but that's not true because there's no wind uh, there was, it's a beautiful day moving on to tomorrow, but right before spring break, Friday is going to be exactly the same as today with a high of 62. It's going to be about 58, 59 during the day with a high of 62. As I just said, don't know why I'm repeating myself. There is no precipitation in sight. Uh, it's going to say, uh, that it's going to be a little windy tomorrow. So that's the Uh-oh. only downside, 20 miles an hour, but that's really nothing. Just put your hair in a bun, just like I do. <laughs> so, and then moving on to the weekend, unfortunately, the first day of spring break is not going to be the most glamorous. It's going to be cloudy. It's going to be windy with 25-mile-an-hour winds, and it's nice. going to be a high of 50 degrees. Just stay inside. Don't travel. But It's my plan. <laughs> it looks like it's going to progress as the week goes on. It goes from 4, 54, 53 to 67 on what? next Wednesday. What? So for anybody who has plans here in Colorado, I would totally just go to the mountains, enjoy your enjoy your week off, yeah. and just uh, keep on living, L-I-V-I-N. There's <laughs> a wisdom right there. Oh, my God. Shout All out right. to McConaughey, Days and Confused. This is ridiculous. <laughs> All Well, thank you, Dr. Valerie Johnson, for coming on and talking to us a little about stem, her, her stem cell research and... Um, the recent procedures she did on the polar bear. Um, also, thank you to Bjorn Larson, um, our sports reporter, as well as just a regular reporter. Um, thank you to Raven Color, our local and national, sorry, our local and 
She's taken over JD's job. She's the local and uh, community correspondent uh, for interviewing Mike, Mike Johnston. Uh, once again, I also want to remind our listeners, if you are interested in hearing a little bit more about um, certain candidates in the you know, the local sphere of Fort Collins and around here in general. Um, please let us know. We also have a phone number that you can call. Leave us a voicemail and let us know what you think. Um, that number is 970-491-2388. Um, yeah, just let us know if you want to hear anything else on our <laughs> airwaves. Yeah. Um, thank you as well to um, the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. Thank you as well to Seth Bodine, our na- almost our national news correspondent. By the way, you just got upgraded to JD's job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, our field reporter. Um, thank you as well to Katie Otter. One of our reporters came on today, helped fill in for some people. Um, Thank you to Gabe Peterson, my co-host, as well as myself, because he well, won't I was thank do that. me. Yeah, no, I was going to say you thank you so much. You didn't get the cue last Julia. time, so I just assumed I have to thank myself, <laughs> well, because here no I one am. else will appreciate me. I will give you thank the you, applause Julia. you <laughs> We will see you back here on the Rocky Mountain Review after break, every Tuesday, Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m. for all of your news. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. You are listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Mm-hmm.